Well, amen. Thank you so very much. And Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Thank you, Ron Gibbs, for that beautiful song at the feet of Jesus. And again, I just want to welcome you tonight. I want to say a personal word of appreciation to our technical team tonight. You know, we couldn't do this without our technical team, Will Mundy, who is back there uh, working our cameras, and Miss Bobby No, our computer, and uh, tonight Chandler No is working our sound. We appreciate Corbin Heron and all of his work, as well as Mark Abbott, who gets the services ready and loaded for us each and every week so that you can be blessed and enjoy them. And thank you to our uh, building committee and Brother Bill Little in all of the vision of putting in this beautiful technology so that we can worship together. It's not the same as being in person, but aren't we grateful that we can be together through the internet and through Facebook. Take your Bibles tonight, turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 27 tonight, and we're going to look at one of the most controversial figures in all of the Bible. His name is Pilate. And tonight I want to read two verses as a springboard to tie our thoughts together, verses 1 and 2. Tonight is Mother's Day evening. It's always been a special evening for me because when I was a 14-year-old boy, I preached my very first sermon on Mother's Day. I went back and looked at my records today and uh, looked at that sermon entitled Walk in the Light from 1 John. I think my sermon lasted between 7 and 10 minutes. Things sure have changed, have they not? But that was 40 years ago. That's hard for me to even say, but it was. I'm 54 years old now, and uh, I love Mother's Day for so many reasons because of my mom and all of the mothers here at Sweetwater but it was the night that I preached my very first sermon. But now tonight, I want us to look at one of the most interesting people in all of, all of the Bible. His name is Pontius Pilate. And I want to read from Matthew's Gospel. He's mentioned in all four of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But in Matthew chapter 27, verses 1 and 2, it says this, When the morning was come... All the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. May we bow for a moment of prayer together. Father, tonight bless us as we study. I pray, O oh God, that your Holy Spirit will be our guide and our teacher and we make this prayer in the name of Jesus and for his sake, amen. In the verses that we've read tonight, it gives to Pilate a very uh, distinguishable title, and that distinguishing title is the title governor. Pilate, as I've already mentioned, is referred to in all four of our Gospels. He's also mentioned in the Apostles' Creed. Now, perhaps some of you were raised in a different tradition than Baptist. Maybe you were a Lutheran or a, a Presbyterian, a Methodist, an Episcopalian, and you can remi remember 
reciting and quoting the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed first appeared in 400 A.D. And what it is is a statement of faith. It is used often in worship services. And here is a quotation from the Apostles' Creed in which Pilate is mentioned. It says this, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and was born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. In 1961, in the archaeological ruins of Caesarea Maritima, Caesarea Maritima is given that name to distinguish it from Caesarea Philippi or Caesarea Philippi. We know that Caesarea Philippi is where uh, Peter makes that great statement, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. But at Caesarea Maritima, which was constructed by Herod the Great, he was known as such a wonderful architect. He built, of course, the uh, the temple in Jerusalem. He built Herodium, Masada that we've already talked about, and then Caesarea Maritima that was named for the Roman emperor Caesar. But in 1961, an Italian expedition uncovered the picture that you notice on the right of your screen. Uh, it was used as what is called a secondary stone, it was put in a temple that was dedicated to Tiberius, and it was actually, actually a step in the theater that you see uh, on the next slide that had the Apostles' Creed on it. In that theater, uh, they uncovered that uh, particular stone that had the name Pilate on it. Now, Jody Magnus, who is a wonderful archaeologist, and I'll be saying more about her in the weeks to come in our study of sacred sites, but in her book that she wrote on the archaeology of the Holy Land, which came out in 2012, she made this statement. The Caesarea inscription is the only archaeological artifact discovered so far that is associated directly with Pontius Pilate. Aside from small bronze coins that he minted but did not bear his name. Well, she wrote those words in 2012 and to show you how quickly archaeology can change, I'm going to ask my wife if she would to go to the next slide and what you're going to see there is a picture of Herodium. It looks like a volcano but it's not a volcano. It is where Herod the Great was buried. I was recently in Israel in January and February, and I wanted to go to Herodium. And so I went and inquired at several places to get an excursion trip out to Herodium. And in one of the places that I went, they said, we have never had anyone to ask us to go to Herodium. So they tried to tell me how to get there by bus, public transportation, which I'm not afraid of public transportation, but I am in Israel because I was going to have to go to the West Bank in Palestinian-controlled area, 
And I said, you know, a young man from Sweetwater, South Carolina, doesn't need to be riding over into Palestinian-controlled territory. So I did not get to go. But I want to call your attention to that ring that is beside that picture of Herodium. One of the periodicals that I enjoy reading and that I received is this one right here called Biblical Archaeology Review. And I enjoy reading it because it has the most current articles related to the Holy Land and I have a great love for archaeology and, and uh, enjoy uh, talking about how those stones cry out of the authenticity of Scripture. But if you'll notice that ring, an article came out in the Biblical Archaeology Review back in February of this year. So that was just a couple of months ago. And in November of 2019, it was announced concerning the finding of this ring. Now what is amazing about it is that it was actually found in 1969 by an expedition from the Hebrew University. But they found a lot of things. And so it was kept in storage and it was very, very difficult to read uh, what was inscribed on the ring. And so because they were able to clean it in the last couple of years and through the technology of modern photography, they were able to determine that this ring had the name of Pilate on it. Now, most archaeologists believe that he did not wear this particular ring, but that actually it belonged to an administrative official that was under his authority of collecting taxes. You say, preacher, why would you even talk about a ring that was found uh, so many years ago and that has the name Pilate on it. Well, it's just another testimony to the authenticity of the Word of God and the Scripture that Pilate was a real man who lived in ancient Israel that we read about in the Word of God. It's very, very interesting, the Pilate ring. And you can look it up and study it for yourself on Google. Don't Google now because we've got some other things to talk about, but uh, the pilot ring that is a complement to the inscribed stone that was found in 1961 at Caesarea Maritima. Now what I want to do tonight to tie our thoughts together as we talk about Pilate is I want to give to you his name and I'm going to give you an acrostic tonight so that we can put all of this together. Uh, the acrostic using his name, Pilate, P-I-L-A-T-E. Now, of all of the chapters that I wrote in this particular book, Sacred Sites, I'll have to say this was the most difficult of them all. In fact, when we finish the study, uh, perhaps by the end of the year, I'm going to come out with a second edition of this book. I've been already updating, and this week I rewrote much of this chapter, adding new material to it, because of all of them, I believe I have researched this one the most concerning Pilate. I have never heard an entire sermon preached on Pontius Pilate. I've heard him referred to in sermons, but never uh, to the extent of the whole sermon. So I want to give you a whole sermon tonight on Pilate. The first thing that I want to do, I want to talk about the letter P in his name, and I believe that refers to his position. 
his position. Now look again at what it says in verse 2. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. It is very clear that he is called a governor. Now he was the governor of Judea from A.D. 26 to A.D. 36. As governor, he had two primary responsibilities. Number one, he was to collect taxes from the Jewish people. Going back to that ring we talked about earlier, that it would have belonged to an administrative official who would have helped him in that process. It was perhaps a, a ring of authority showing that he had the authority and the right to collect taxes. So Pilate uh, was charged with that responsibility of collecting taxes for the Roman Empire and to control the financial affairs of the province. A second thing that the governor was to do is that he was to maintain peace by supp suppressing the Jewish people from any uprisings or revolts. He was to keep law and order, in other words, representing the Roman Empire. Now, I don't recommend a whole lot of motion pictures to you, but I want to recommend one tonight. Many of you will remember the old movie, Ben-Hur. Ben-Hur, with Charleston Heston, first came out in 1959. But that movie has actually been updated. I don't know if you know that or not. And in 2016, a new version came out. It has Morgan Freeman in it. And many of you are bored right now because you're quarantined, you're at home, and you can't go anywhere and do anything, and you're looking for movies to watch. So watch Ben-Hur from 2016, and it will give you a good portrayal of Pontius Pilate and how he had to suppress the uprising of the zealots there in the city of Jerusalem. He is a great controversial figure for a number of reasons, but let me give you just four of them. Number one, he placed images of the Roman emperor Tiberius in the temple which led to a riot in 26 AD. Second of all, he seized temple funds and used it for the financing of an aqueduct. He killed some Galileans that Jesus refers to in the Bible in Luke chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. And then, number four, he ordered a deadly massacre of Samaritans, and as a result, he was called back to Rome and relieved of his responsibility as governor because it seemed like he was always creating problems rather than trying to solve them and to uh, extinguish any revolts in Judea. So when we think about Pilate, first of all, I want us to talk about the fact that he was governor of this particular area of Judea, having been appointed by the Roman emperor himself. The second thing that I want to call to your attention in his name, Pilate, is the letter I, and I want to talk about inscription. Now, I'm not talking about the inscription that we referred to earlier, uh, when I mentioned about the stone from Caesarea Maritima. And by the way, you're going to be seeing throughout these slides photographs from Caesarea Maritima there on the Mediterranean Sea, on the coastline 
of Israel. But I want to talk about another inscription, one that he wrote. And it's found in all of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it is the inscription that he put over the head of Jesus when Jesus was crucified. Now we read about this in John chapter 19, verse 19. Now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Now the Bible tells us that this inscription was written in three different languages, Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. Now John Phillips in his book says this, the placard was written in Latin, the language of government, in Greek, the language of culture, and in Hebrew, the language of religion. Now he calls Jesus in this inscription, the king of the Jews. We just saw that wonderful video that Brother Mark Abbott provided for us about King Jesus. And whether he did it consciously or unconsciously, Pilate called attention to the fact that Jesus is king. And ladies and gentlemen, he is king. And the question tonight, is he your king? Have you made him sovereign in your life? Have you submitted and surrendered to his authority? If not, why not tonight? We have prayer partners available. Tonight, if you have a spiritual need or you want to know how to become a Christian, why don't you call the number that is on the screen and ask them to pray with you. The Bible says in Romans 10, 13, For whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jesus is the king tonight, and he wants to be your king. And so that inscription, whether he meant to or not, called attention to the fact that here was the king of the Jews. There is a third letter in the name Pilate, and that is the letter L, and I believe that stands for his loyalty. You see, ladies and gentlemen, as the governor, he had to be loyal. His allegiance was to Rome. He had to represent them in all of the affairs related to the Jews of Israel. He had his own agenda. He was very ambitious, hoping perhaps to work his way up and being promoted in the Roman Empire. Bo Reiki, in his book on the New Testament, says this, At the very outset of his term in office, Pilate showed the Jews that he would support relentlessly the principle of Roman sovereignty in the world. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to ask you, where is your loyalty? You know, loyalty is a very important thing. We think about our dogs, our four-legged friends, our canine family members, of how they are so loyal. Right now at home, I have a golden retriever. Her name is Amelia. And Amelia is always happy to see me if nobody else is happy to see me. Why? Because she's loyal. She has loyalty. 
And when it comes to our relationship to Jesus Christ, he requires of us, ladies and gentlemen, loyalty. Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, If any man will come after me, let him take up his cross daily and follow me. We show that loyalty by following Christ daily. We show that loyalty by obeying Christ. The Bible tells us in John 14, verse 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, verse 46, And why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say of you? If we're going to call Jesus Lord, then we have to obey him and do those things that he asks of us. And then we've got to serve him. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 6 says, Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. So here was a man whose loyalty, whose allegiance was to the Roman Empire. But it does bring up a fourth consideration tonight, and that is his appeasement his appeasement. Now, I use this word in reference to the trial of Jesus Christ. Yes, Pilate was loyal to the Roman Empire. His allegiance was to the Roman emperor. But ladies and gentlemen, I truly believe that when it came to the crucifixion of Jesus, Pilate did everything he could to get out of that. I, I don't really believe he wanted to crucify Jesus. He didn't see the need to, to be honest. And the Bible tells us of how he sent him over to Herod, now not Herod the Great, but Herod, who was also a governor in that region, the region of Galilee as well, and how he was trying to uh, pass the buck, so to speak, when it came to passing sentence upon Jesus. You remember that he kept saying to the Jews, I find no fault in this man. He questioned Jesus. Jesus was silent. And then you'll remember that even the wife of Pilate told him, don't have any dealings with this man, talking about Jesus. She said, I have suffered many dreams about him. And so I believe that Pilate really didn't want to crucify Jesus. However, those religious leaders, those Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Members of the Sanhedrin were in the crowd. And the Bible tells us that they stirred up the people. And it was kind of like a big pep rally. And they tried to get the people stirred up to the point wherever when the people began to cry out, crucify him, crucify him. And so it called on. And as a result, here was Pilate, and he was between a rock and a hard place. What was he to do? And the Bible tells us in the Gospel of John, as a result, the people began to tell him that if you do not crucify this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Now, it goes back to what I said earlier about his loyalty. His loyalty was being questioned. His allegiance was being called to the, to the table. And so Pilate knew he had to do something. 
So you remember he wanted to release Jesus. He said, let me release this man. And of course, that's when they began to say that if you let this man go, you're not Caesar's friend. And so he releases the criminal Barabbas. And we read about this in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23. Now, H.I. Hester, who wrote two companion volumes, one of the Old Testament, the Hebrew Old Testament, one of the New Testament. And in his New Testament, the heart of the New Testament, he writes these words concerning Pilate. He was a weakling without much character or conviction. His dealings was those of an opportunist. He was in almost constant conflict with the Jews who not only distrusted him, but actually hated him. He misappropriated funds, disregarded Jewish religious customs, and defied their leaders. His misdeeds served to make him a coward and to bring him into contempt. His weakness and utter lack of character is exhibited in his handling of the trial of Jesus. So here is Pilate, and he is in a rock in a hard place, and in order to appease the crowd, he finally releases Barabbas. But what is he to do with Jesus? And that brings up the next letter in the name of Pilate, and that's the letter T for torture. Torture. Because he orders that Jesus be crucified. Now, in the ancient world, only the Jews used the means of crucifixion. We're going to talk a whole lot more about this when we get to the chapter on the Via Della Rosa, but that's a long ways off. But we're going to talk in great detail of how Jesus begins at the Antonio Fortress where he meets with Pilate. I, I, I watched last evening on YouTube a special program on the Antonio Fortress of where Jesus stands before Pontius Pilate and is condemned to death. And so here's Pilate. He has no one to blame but himself because he makes that final decision. And you remember what he does? He calls for a wash basin and he begins to wash his hands of the blood of Jesus. And he says, I'm washing my hands of this man. But ladies and gentlemen, you can't wash your hands from rejecting Jesus Christ. And the only one that Pilate will have to blame is himself when he stands before Almighty God at the judgment and has to give account of that day in which we, he had the King of Kings and the Son of God crucified and tortured. Now, some of the things that he did, and again, we're going to talk in great detail about this when we get to the Via Della Rosa, but he had Jesus scourged. He had Jesus mocked. He had him beaten, and finally, he was crucified and died. The Jewish capital punishment was stoning. But for Jesus to be crucified, it took the authority of the Roman governor or someone in the government of the Roman Empire to give out that order that Jesus would be tortured and 
crucified. And that is exactly what happened. The final point that I want to make tonight about Pontius Pilate, the letter E, is that he was an eyewitness. An eyewitness. You say, preacher, what are you talking about? He was an eyewitness of Jesus Christ himself. In the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 6, verse 13, Paul is writing young Timothy, and here's what he says. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. So here is Pilate, and he's standing before Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Son of God. And whether he really knew that or not, he was an eyewitness to Jesus Christ himself. Looking at the face of Jesus. Looking into the eyes of Jesus. And he sees firsthand Jesus Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, for all God's children, for those of us who are saved and who have been to Calvary and who have given our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ, one of these days we're going to see him face to face. We're going to be an eyewitness of Jesus. Pilate, unfortunately, looked at Jesus and rejected him. But when we look at him, it will be because we have received him. And in the book of Revelation, chapter 22, and verse 4, some of the most beautiful words in all of our Bible, and they shall see his face. They shall see his face. Now that wonderful promise and assurance should do two things for you and two things for me. Number one, it should comfort us. It should give us great assurance and anticipation that one of these days we're going to see Jesus. You know, many are fearful right now of the COVID-19. And they're afraid and uh, they don't want to get the virus. But ladies and gentlemen, I have a firm belief about all of this. When it's our time to go, the appointed time of God, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, and as it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this the judgment. It doesn't matter where you're at or what you're doing. It doesn't matter what age you are or what stage in life. When it's your appointed time, you're going. And, and certainly we don't want to be reckless and we don't want to be unwise in how we handle the COVID-19, just like we're going to do here at church. We're going to be very cautious and very careful. However, ladies and gentlemen, as children of God, we're not to be fearful of death. It is the vehicle into the presence of God. And because of that, it ought to give us great comfort to know that we're going to be eyewitnesses of Jesus Christ himself. It should comfort us. But then number two, it should challenge us. It should challenge us to live every day as though that were the day that we're going to look at Jesus. Do you remember Simon Peter the night before Jesus was crucified? Jesus had already told him, Simon, 
before the cock crows three times, you're going to deny me. And you remember that's exactly what happened. Simon Peter denied him three times. And the Bible tells us that after that last time that Simon Peter denied our Lord, that he looked at Simon Peter. And the Bible says that Simon Peter went out and wept bitterly. Ladies and gentlemen, when Jesus looks at you, what is the reaction of his face? What kind of expression does he have? I hope when he looks at my life that he's pleased and not displeased. I, I want to try to live for him, though I fail him so many times. Though I fall short of his glory and fall short of the standards that he has set, absolutely. But I'm so thankful that he's a forgiving God. And when that day comes for all of us, when we stand before his presence, we're going to see a, a face of love, a face of compassion, a face of forgiveness, that God loves us, he cares about us, and a face of welcoming us into his presence. So take heart, Christians. Take heart, children of God. There's coming a great day, unlike Pilate, who for the last time saw Jesus, because he won't see him in heaven. He'll be sentenced to hell. His soul's in hell right now. But praise God for the children of God. We're going to be in glory with him. It makes me think about that old hymn, and I want to close with this. Face to face with Christ my Savior. Face to face what will it be? When with rapture I behold him, Jesus Christ who died for me. Face to face I shall behold him far beyond the starry sky, face to face in all his glory, I shall see him by and by. Let's bow together for a moment of prayer. Father, thank you tonight for the wonderful promise that we're going to be eyewitnesses of Jesus. Not like Pilate, who saw Christ for the last time and then died and went to hell. But Lord, we're going to see him for all of eternity. And so, Lord, tonight we thank you for that assurance and that comfort we have. Now, Father, we pray you'll bless us as we continue our evening, as we go through our work week, and as we anticipate being here next Sunday, live and in person. And, Lord, thank you for the privilege of being the pastor of the Sweetwater Baptist Church. Thank you for the things we've learned tonight from Pontius Pilate. We make this prayer in the name of Jesus and for his sake, amen. May God bless you until we meet again. Remember, Jesus loves you, and so do I.